This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that would like to remind you that there are a lot of wimps out there. Yeah, I might break your nose with my shoulder blade. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are drinking Guayabera by the Great Cigar City Brewing Company. This is an American Citra Pale Ale, ABV 5.5%, garage grade four and three quarter bottle caps out of five. This week's fridge is full because of you, Captain. No, we know that's not true, but the captain is thankful that the fridge is full because of you guys out there. First up, a big cheers to all of our friends in parts unknown. We got so many of them. First, we have Courtney. We have Pamela B, David R, and Brian B, all hailing in PU. And a big shout out to Kristen, which wanted me to call Rick James a POS, but you gotta get funky with a little Rick James. Next up, we have Michael in Long Beach, New York. And a big shout out to Terry in Harbor City, California. And last but certainly not least, we have a cheers to Lady D to Beats, to G Suite, and Adrian. Thanks to everybody for filling up the fridge for this week's shows. If you want to help us out with next week's shows, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And for everything True Crime Garage, check out truecrimegarage.com and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff at True Crime Garage. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
14-year-old from the Newtown neighborhood of Sarasota still remains missing tonight. Jabez Spann was last seen back on Labor Day along 23rd Street in Sarasota. ABC7's Rick Adams joins us live tonight from Sarasota Police Headquarters with more on the story. Rick? It's a parent's worst nightmare, having her child vanish off the face of the earth. Tawana Spann's 14-year-old son Jabez has been missing now since September 4th. Spann, her boyfriend, and other family members are pleading for information to find him and hopefully a safe return home. If there's anybody that know anything, like, don't just let him, if something happens, don't just let him just be out there like that. Jabez was last seen playing near his grandmother's house in the 1500 block of 23rd Street in Sarasota. The Sarasota Police Department are following all leads and asking the community for their assistance. We have done searches, grid searches. We have tried pinging his phone. We have followed up leads. At this point, we know and believe that there are people within our community that has information about this young man and his whereabouts. In fact, the ping to Jabez's cell phone tracked it to an undisclosed wooded area near Sarasota, but police weren't able to find the phone or any evidence of him being there. And one of the ways the community is trying to help is they're going door to door and store to store with flyers like this. Groups are now going out daily, handing out hundreds of these flyers with the hopes they get in the hands of somebody who knows something. This is an additional, another opportunity for the community to come together and to support one another, to show love, to collaborate, you know, to do what's right. Jabez Spann is described as a bright teen who is very athletic. He is between 5 feet 7 inches and 5 feet 9 inches tall, weighing 120 to 130 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing a turquoise shirt. Somebody got to know something. Somebody has to know something where this boy is. And if you know more information on Jabez's whereabouts, you're being asked to contact authorities immediately. Reporting live from downtown Sarasota this evening, I'm Rick Adams. Scott, back to you. All right, Rick, thanks so much for that update. This week we are discussing the case of Jabez Eugene Spann, who in 2017 was a 14-year-old boy living in the Newtown area of Sarasota, Florida. Sarasota's population was about 56,000 people. Newtown is majority African American. In fact, a historic plaque posted by the Sarasota County Historic Commission dedicates the area as the, quote, first black community in the city. Newtown is near downtown Sarasota. Jabez was a great kid. According to everyone who knew him, he was full of jokes and humor. His mother, Tawana Span, whom True Crime Garage spoke with at length, had various troubles throughout her life. Jabez was actually born in prison, and as a newborn, he was handed over to a foster family. But his grandmother, Lucille Tillery, tracked him down and put up a fight to raise him herself. She got legal guardianship of Jabez when he was just two months old. She kept the biblical name Jabez that Tawana gave him, which means bearer of pain. Tawana felt that this name would make him strong and bring him God's protection throughout his life. Jabez adored his grandmother Lucille, although they sometimes butted heads because she was old school in her child-rearing ways and he would rebel a little and give her a hard time. But everyone loved each other, 
and generally Jabez towed the lines drawn by Lucille. Jabez also had a good relationship with his mom, who was released after serving her four-year sentence. She moved to Tampa Bay, Florida, not far away. Jabez was thriving in his grandparents' home, so his mom made the decision to let him continue to live with them. Jabez's mother, Tawana, was very involved with Jabez, even though they did not live together or share a home. Jabez's father, however, lived in Jacksonville, Florida, and was not much a part of the boy's life. Now, on the other hand, it's pretty clear that Jabez had some poor role models in his life. An older brother was serving 15 years in prison. Another brother was in rehab, and his uncle Cornelius was in and out of prison multiple times for some pretty serious crimes. Tawana Spann told Dateline that Jabez had seen these family members making serious mistakes throughout their life, and he was determined not to go down these same paths. He did have one incident involving the police, but generally, he was a good kid with his head screwed on properly. He got good grades in school, and in fact, he was a teacher's assistant and was a football star. According to his mother, Jabez was always carrying a football around. His family had hopes of him playing football in college and maybe even making it to the NFL. One of his friends described Jabez as fun, energetic, and very athletic. He was great at basketball, football, and he was also known to do these flips at a moment's notice. You see these people, sometimes you see a football star on on TV who will just do one of these flips randomly, just standing there and all of a sudden they're in midair and then they're back on their feet again. Crazy stuff. Yeah, that's how I get out of bed. One flip at a time. Mm -hmm. Jabez was usually found somewhere in the neighborhood, often playing ball or hanging out at the park with his friends. Jabez was not tiny. I mean, he was 14 years old. He was five foot, nine inches tall, 120 pounds. And we talked about Jabez being full of humor and just really a fun kid. Almost every picture I've seen, you can see how happy he is in these pictures. He was a kid with a great smile a broad and warm smile, just a good-looking all-American kid. Yeah, they say when you smile that big, you also smile with your eyes. Let's talk about the night in question, the evening in question, the, the night that Jabez vanished. This is on the night of September 4th, 2017. Labor Day, it's a Monday. Jabez attended a Labor Day party. This was held by his family. Family members said Jabez did not appear to be having fun at the party. This is probably because there weren't many kids there. He's 14 years old. He's probably bored at a shindig that's just full of adults. He did hold his uncle's baby for some time, but around 5.30 p.m., he left to go hang out with some buddies. His grandmother reports that she saw him around 6 p.m. near a memorial recently erected for a shooting victim from the neighborhood. This man that was killed, his name was Travis Combs. There was a vigil held for Travis, and Jabez attended this. One of Travis's female cousins had a relationship with Tawana Spann's brother, so he was sort of family to Jabez. This vigil was in the 1500 block of 23rd Street at Paul Medallia Avenue, right near Lucille's house where Jabez lived. Jabez returned to Lucille's house with his buddy, whom we are just going to refer to here as T because he is a minor. 
The two were there sometime in the 8 to 10 p.m. range. They left after that. Jabez was supposed to spend the night at a friend's house that night, as he often did, but he always would come home to go to school. And the next morning, you know, this is a Tuesday morning, there is school that day. When he did not show up at school, well, this is unheard of for Jabez. He had good attendance records. And his grandmother is now quite concerned about where could this young boy be? Where could this young man be? And so she tries calling Jabez and gets no answer on his phone. Lucille says she knew something was wrong immediately. She was calling around looking for him to no avail. Finally, she called Tawana, Jabez's mother, who immediately jumped in her vehicle and sped off to Sarasota. Now, she's actually thinking while she's making her way there how much trouble Jabez was going to be in once she locates him because she's upset that, hey, you worried your grandmother. You didn't go to school. You're going to be in trouble when I find you. Yeah, it could be something simple like he spent the night at his friend's house, supposed to wake up in the morning to go home to get ready for school, but they overslept or something. The other thing, too, I mean, even though it was unheard of for him to miss school, he had great attendance records. Kids get older, they do things. Maybe you stay the night at your buddy's house. Buddy doesn't want to go to school. You find something stupid to go off and do instead, and then you go that way. The problem here we have is now we're talking about getting close to the 24-hour mark of when the last time he was seen. He doesn't go to school, and he's not responding to phone calls going to his phone. So his yeah, mother... Good kid. Yeah, well, a good kid in the family thinks he's a good kid, but you also have all these people in his family that started making wrong turns at some point in their life. And so you got to be concerned with that as a parent. Is this an action of him going down the wrong path? Correct. And with any neighborhood, be it, I don't care where it's located. I don't care the class of people. There are ways for teenagers to slip into the wrong crowd very easily. Now, his mother arrived in this new town area after dark. Again, this is right around the 24 hour mark after she last saw him. So Lucille then calls police. This is to report Jabez missing. This is on the evening of September 5th. After some persuading, the Sarasota Police Department did issue a missing persons report, but of course, initially treating this case as a possible runaway situation. This was based off of past behavior as Jabez was known to stay with friends, sometimes for multiple days at a time. And occasionally, you know, he's going to get into it with grandma. From time to time, you know, as teenagers, we don't always agree with those with our parents or those who are raising us. And sometimes you get in an argument and you stomp away and police, I think we're kind of thinking Jabez is 14 years old. That's a possibility here. We don't have any reports of that from Jabez's family on September 8th with Jabez missing now for four days and no activity on his phone or social media. The Sarasota Police Department upgraded the case to a missing child case. The department issued a media blast about Jabez being missing, and this blast said it's unclear what the circumstances were leading up to his disappearance. Detectives are asking anyone 
who knows the whereabouts of Jabez, to call Detective Megan Buck and gave a phone number. But then, six days later, this is, I'm sorry, six days after Jabez vanished, the area was hit by a hurricane. This is Hurricane Irma. This knocked out the power to much of the area for quite some time. It wasn't until after the storm was over that police began to take Jabez's disappearance much more seriously. They reissued the missing child alert and the request for information. This on September 18th. Well, police were probably thinking, well, the whole city's under attack by weather. If this kid was just mad at his family, he'd probably come back for safety. Correct. And we're getting up there in the number of days now that he's been missing. Mm-hmm. At this point, Sarasota Police Chief Bernadette DePino updated reporters on the investigation and affirmed that it was officially a missing persons investigation. While the police had issued a Florida missing child alert, she said the case did not meet the criteria for an Amber alert because there was simply no evidence to suggest that Jabez was abducted. And this is something that we've talked about in other cases, Captain. Th- this one is a little trickier. This one's a little more difficult. And I just base this off of one victimology and two kind of the movements and behaviors of everything involved. Right. We we've discussed plenty of cases where somebody sees somebody go missing off of the streets or somebody sees somebody actually grabbed or snatched and grabbed. We don't have any reports of anybody claiming that Jabez was was spotted being attacked or being pursued by someone. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, when we look at victimology, just the, just the nature of his age, his gender and his size makes him a less likely target for, you know, the more traditional, uh, that, that's a terrible word to use, but some of the more trash that we've discussed on this show in regards to child abduction cases in the, in the predators and the, perpetrators of those crimes well like you said he's 5'9 120 highly athletic so he would be a lot harder to kidnap Uh, yeah and i think i don't know that i can emphasize the athletic part enough i mean given what i've been told by several people this is the kind of kid that if he wanted to get away from somebody he could I mean, he he was fast and he right. was very athletic. Doesn't rule out the possibility of, of of several people, right? And also, the scariest thing is one: the days are really starting to add up here, and there's zero, absolutely zero activity on his phone. Chief DePino also stated that police had pinged Jabez's cell phone. She would not say anything further other than to state that it did not lead to anything. But it came out later that the phone had pinged in a wooded area near an industrial park, and nothing was found when this area was searched. Apparently, this area is mostly water and woods. Okay, now for the general timeline, this takes us to about the two weeks mark. Jabez's family had been searching for him now for two weeks at this point. Credit to his family. They were doing all the right things. They were vocal and outspoken about demanding action on Jabez's case. They pushed for searches. They handed out flyers and they spread the word about their missing boy. 
Jabez's aunt set up a Facebook page for Missing Jabez Span, which publicized the boy's disappearance and posted about volunteer searches and flyer distribution. Tawana had been able to determine Jabez's movements on the night that he was last seen. She figured out that he had gone to the park. This was to play basketball, but he didn't stay very long. He, he left before too long because he was not really dressed appropriately for sports activities. Right. We all know the situation, Captain. You like to play a little ball in the neighborhood. You want your T-shirt on. You want to be in some shorts and in your basketball shoes. And given that he was just coming from the party, he was uh, you know wearing a nicer shirt, wearing a pair of slacks, wasn't really dressed for any sports activities. Yeah, I like to do my hooping and penny loafers and jorts. From the park, she was able to figure out that he did, in fact, go back to his grandmother's where he lived. This is in the 8 to 10 p.m. time frame that we discussed. He was at his grandma's until he left with a friend, this kid that we're calling T. After that, the trail went cold. Jabez's mother, Tawana, and grandmother, Lucille, knew that the boy would not have just run away. Their mother's intuition was telling them that something was very wrong. And Tawana told ABC Action News at the time that she believed someone knew where her son was, saying, quote, I don't know if they are holding him or if something has happened to him. I feel as though if there was nothing wrong with him, he would have contacted someone by now. There has to be information out there. There is somebody that knows something. Tawana told True Crime Garage that she had a sinking feeling very early on, and she didn't really want to communicate that with anybody, but it's mother's intuition. Right, so he misses school. The grandma is trying to make contact with him. The mom is rushing back, like you said, initially thinking that he was just doing something wrong, misbehaving. Then they do another step by starting to retrace his steps, which is is something that everybody should do if somebody goes missing. Right. And this is also, you know, when they're doing all of this and trying to put the puzzle pieces together to really fill out this timeline and follow it to the end or to the last known point, they're also talking to people in the neighborhood. And she's talking to other kids in the neighborhood, especially kids that are Jabez's age. Right. Just simply, you know, have you seen him? Have you heard anything? Is there somewhere that I should be looking that we're not? And during the conversations amongst these different kids and, and whatnot, at some point, one of these kids tells her, frankly, just blurts it out, says, quote, you know, he witnessed a murder. So she begins to hear rumors about Jabez's disappearance. Tawana told the ABC reporter that she had heard from various people that Jabez was in danger. She said, quote, Jabez was supposed to have witnessed something of a violent crime, whether or not that's true or not. A 14-year-old does not fall off the face of the earth. No social media, no nothing. You're going to contact your friends or somebody. Sarasota police had clearly heard these rumors as well. Chief DePino said that they were following up on every lead. But the rumors and the gossip surrounding Jabez's disappearance had not been verified as credible. She made the following statement alluding to the word on the street that Jabez had been victimized by someone. 
quote, we have done grid searches and we tried pinging his phone. We have followed up on leads. At this point, we know and believe that there are people within our community that has information about this young man and his whereabouts. As she's asking around in the community, she also knows that some of these kids are more likely to talk to her than they would be to law enforcement. Uh, but, but now she is getting these rumors, but she's not able to connect some of the dots. On September 26, 2017, Tawana Spann and Lucille Tillery made a public plea for the return of their beloved son and grandson. Lucille was pouring tears as she said, quote, I just want to say I know somebody out there knows what happened to Jabez. We love Jabez. All we want is for anyone who knows anything, just give him back to us. We just want him back. This could be anybody's child. I'm begging, pleading, just bring him back. She went on to say, quote, the house is so empty without him in it. That's my baby. Somebody please, please help us. Lucille emphasized that she was no stranger to emotional pain. She had already lost a husband who dropped dead in their yard. She lost a brother, a sister who was killed by a lightning strike. And she had lost her parents as well. But she said, this is a feeling I've never felt before in my life. Chief DePino also spoke, addressing the frustration that her department felt at not finding anything. She said, quote, we're doing everything we can, but it's very frustrating. We are not getting information from our community. So we are asking again and reaching out to the citizens in our community to please consider coming forward. She was appealing directly to people in the neighborhood who police clearly felt knew something specific about what had happened to Jabez. She stated that foul play was not being ruled out, but reiterated that there was no information either way. Under pressure from the family, Sarasota police announced a reward in Jabez's case on September 30th. This reward offered jointly by Sarasota Police Department, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. This was for $6,000. Yeah. In addition, a digital billboard had been donated. This was to be used to ask for information in Jabez's case. By October 3rd, the FBI got involved. They had joined in the case, helping in the search for Jabez. Volunteer searchers organized by the family continued to spend their days looking for clues throughout the neighborhood and surrounding areas. The family put together prayer vigils and marches down Martin Luther King Jr. way to where Jabez was last seen, this near his grandmother's house, keeping the case in the public eye. The reward for information leading to Jabez's whereabouts grew all the way up to $25,000. 19 was contributed by the FBI, 5000 by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and 1000 by the Sarasota Police Department. All right, so but now we have the family doing their due diligence, talking to the community, getting answers, relaying that to law enforcement. Now law enforcement is making public statements and also adding a, a reward. So it seems like everybody's doing as much as they can. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's working together. They all have the same goal in mind. Let's find this 14-year-old boy. The family did report to the media that they were receiving daily calls from Sarasota police with updates on the case. 
it seemed that the police department was actively investigating the case and legitimately interested in solving it. This should not sound like information that we need to report, but sometimes we've seen that police do not give their full attention as much to inner city victims, at least publicly. That does not seem to be the case here. I want to really underline this and reiterate this very strongly. True Crime Garage spoke with Jabez's family and with people very close to the case. Every single one of them said that they firmly believe and have seen so much evidence of such that the Sarasota Police Department was fully vested in this investigation, that they were they were being driven emotionally and by the community and by their just their own wants and needs to find Jabez themselves. They were fully all in on this case. Nobody on the inside, be it the family or otherwise, has questioned that. Now, I think one thing that we see here, Captain, when a child goes missing and uh-huh. has been missing for weeks, this is a crime or this is this is something that truly affects the community. It's a crime against the community. And when that takes place, we want the community wants something physical to point at and to blame. You know, why did this happen? Why would this happen here? And unfortunately, in this case, we had kind of two different approaches to it where we had some people were saying, look, if you had been a better mother, your kid would have never gone missing. And I, I, one, I, I won't stand for that at all. I can't, cannot stand that. I understand that his mother has made mistakes, but she is a good person. And I believe that she is a good person. She made mistakes just like anybody is capable of, especially when we're younger. Well, here's the thing you got to love though, is, he was basically being put into the system, right? Foster family. Mm-hmm. His grandma steps up to the plate and says, oh, no, he's going to stay in our family. I'm going to raise this boy. And then the mom starts getting her life together, and she has the love for her child enough to say, you know what? Maybe he's in a better situation because I made these mistakes. And I don't want him to go down the same path. I want to give my child the best opportunity. And maybe the best opportunity is with my mother and with me uh, being as much of a cheerleader as I can from the sideline and being as much of his mother from the sideline. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. And the thing here, too, is she is up front. Jabez's mother, Tawana, she's up front about her mistakes that she made. And she says, look. I didn't make these mistakes because I had a bad upbringing. She says, I had a very good upbringing. The problem was that once I got to a certain age, I started making bad choices. I started hanging out with the wrong people, going to the wrong areas, doing the wrong things. And that's what ended her up in prison for that four-year sentence. And as you said, she gets out. She finds that her son is in a very good situation, thriving in that situation, And she allowed him to continue to thrive in that situation. The other thing, too, that the family pointed out, especially Jabez's mother, was that the people that were friends with them and, you know, community, coworkers, whatnot, they also wanted somebody to blame. They wanted something physical to point at and to blame. And it was a whole different blame game. They wanted to blame the police and say that the police were not doing enough that maybe they didn't care, that they weren't trying as hard as they could. And the family has said straight up, 
anybody that was wasting our time with that. We, we had no time for that. That is not helping this case along. And that, in fact, was just not what was going on at all. Sarasota Police Department was all in. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. 
ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, cheers, mates, from very cold, parts unknown. I'm in the garage. And normally I like to say cheers to you through the glass, Captain, because we're mm-hmm. we're separated by glass like a couple of wild animals. But uh, today we are separated by several state lines, so cheers to everybody out there. I am in beautiful, sunny Florida, uh-huh. and that's a lie. I'm actually... I'm joining you from a bunker at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, and it smells a lot better in the garage this week. (laughs) All right. Well, cheers to everybody out there. Back to our case, Captain. By the end of October, law enforcement officials were stepping up efforts to find Jabez. Agents from the FBI, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and the Sarasota Police Department were re-canvassing certain areas of Newtown and the surrounding areas. 
They're knocking on doors and talking to people, trying to uncover new leads in this missing person's case. This is because by this time, there was some information about what likely happened to Jabez. And this comes in the form of a probable cause affidavit. As you recall, we said earlier that Jabez's mother, Tawana, stated that she had heard rumors that Jabez had witnessed something he should not have, a violent crime of some sort. While Jabez had not told his family about witnessing anything, Tawana had learned through her inquiries that Jabez had talked to others about what he had seen. And then something happened on October 29th that would confirm for the family that these rumors were true. All of this information is from a probable cause affidavit filed in the Sarasota County Clerk's Office on November 8th, 2017. Bear with us here because this gets a little complicated. Here's what the probable cause affidavit says. On October 29th, 2017, when Jabez had been missing for nearly two months, a man named Reginald Parker came to the home of Lucille Tillery on 23rd Street in Newtown. He said he had information that might help the family in their quest to find out what happened to Jabez. He told her that he had witnessed the murder of Travis Combs. You might recall that Jabez and his friends had been seen near a memorial for Combs. And this is the guy that was connected to his family. Yes, and he was murdered on August 28th, 2017. And that Combs, as you stated, was connected, well-known to Jabez's family, well-known to Jabez, and and kind of considered a member of the extended, extended family. Yeah, and you would think this would put him in a situation that he felt like he could talk to his family about what he saw. But obviously, we had reports, kids stating this, other people in the community, and now an eyewitness claiming that, that Jabez was a witness to this murder. Okay, so let's step aside for a minute and discuss this other case here that we have referenced several times, but let's take this opportunity to go through the murder of Travis Combs in some detail. Travis Combs was a pretty regular dude. He was a working man, a proud father, with a son that loved him very much. But the one thing that would make him different from other working regular dude fathers, Travis was a weed dealer. Now, Many of the papers report him to be a drug dealer. Of course, marijuana is a narcotic, but nowadays when we have several states in this country where it's declared legal to dispense, sell marijuana and cannabis THC products, I think the term drug dealer probably sounds a little too sinister for a man who is selling a product that is, well, frankly, legal in other states. Yeah, it's very confusing in this country because we've talked about this before. In one state, he would be looked at as an entrepreneur, and in other states, he's a criminal. Yeah, and then we have our state, like Ohio, that is now allowing medical use of marijuana. And down here in Florida, they've just recently made use of medical marijuana as well. So it seems like a lot of the states are going that way, whatever side of the fence you fall on. I think it's a fair assessment to say that a weed dealer is different 
and to me anyway, it's different to me than, than somebody that would be labeled a drug dealer or a pusher yeah, of hardcore drugs. Another interesting fact about Ohio is once uh, medical marijuana was legalized, glaucoma has gone up 5,000%. <laughs> I, well, the thing here is I think often too, people hear someone is a drug dealer and they say silly things, just really nonsense things like, oh, well, he got what he deserved. Right. I want to point out Travis overall was a pretty good dude. He was selling marijuana simply for two reasons. One, this was a good amount of extra income. And two, he was a smoker or user himself. I want to be clear. I'm not condoning illegal behavior. And frankly, in my opinion, he probably should have got out of this the moment he became a father. But that's a, a whole nother conversation. And from everyone I spoke to and everything I could find, he was, in fact, a good father. Now, Travis's M.O. was he sold weed out of his vehicle. This is much more common than I think most people would truly know. In fact, it's happening on several streets in your neighborhood or town as we speak. You have a basic system of you park your car or vehicle in a certain location on certain days of the week, and you're open for business. On the day that he was killed, Travis pulled his car into a vacant grassy lot on 22nd Street. This is a spot where he was known to deal, and customers would approach him there to conduct business. Yeah, he called his weed dispensary the grassy knoll. This lot is located, according to reporters and others who have written about this case, 453 feet from Jabez's grandmother's house. Just 453 feet from Jabez's grandmother's house, we should point out. On this night, August 28th, this Reginald Parker, the man mentioned in the affidavit, happened to be nearby at a rooming house. This is right down 22nd Street. Parker said that he saw three men surround Travis Combs and his vehicle in the empty lot. He heard the three men yelling something like, give it up. And he said he heard Combs yell back, I ain't got it. Travis tried to flee on foot. And then Parker heard a gunshot. Parker saw two of the men run north on Palmadelia Avenue and saw the third guy get into Travis Combs' car and then drive off. Combs lie on the ground in the vacant lot, having been chased and then shot once in the upper torso. Someone called the cops or emergency medical techs. It's unclear who exactly called for first responders. That has not been released to the public. The rumor is that this call came from a woman. Either way, poor Travis was dead when first responders arrived on the scene. The neighborhood together mourned the death of one of their own. Travis Combs was just 31 years old. He was found dead at about 9.20 p.m. near 22nd Street and Palmadelia Avenue. Well, this is the problem. When, when something is illegal, then they're selling, like you said, he's just parking out in the open. And so people know that he's also profiting from this. So he's going to either have product to steal or he'll have money to steal. Yes, this is very problematic for for Travis. Okay, so, and these are other people's words, not my own, but I got the same vibe as well when I was going through this. Travis, even though he was selling weed 
and he was doing this on the side. Let's keep in mind, this was a, a guy with a, with a family, with a growing family and with a job. Okay. He was not what these other guys might refer to as street or thug. He, he was not that kind of guy. And this, as you pointed out, Captain, might be the icing on the cake, right? Because if it's known throughout the neighborhood, and it totally was, that Travis was a man that was able to move a decent amount of marijuana, well, that means one of two things or both, that on any given day, especially when you know he's parked and open up for business, he very likely could be in possession of large sums of cash or large sums of marijuana, or both. And this makes him a desirable target. And then if we factor in on top of that, that he's not considered thug or street or whatever, he might be considered a soft target, someone that would be easy to rob. And at the time, at 2017, and actually a little before this, you can back it up about a year or so, And even a little bit after all of this was taking place, there was a few groups around town that were known for committing armed robberies, for robbing a drug dealer like like Travis or holding somebody up, just really taking advantage of the situation and bullying other people and robbing them. The police said that this was an isolated incident and that there was no indication that the public was at risk. Early on, detectives were not releasing information to the public. They were asking that anyone with information on the case that they called Detective Kim Laster at 941-364-7327. From what I could find, Travis was shot in the upper torso. Police would not release what kind of gun was used in this homicide, But the rumors are it was a single shot to the back and either a shotgun or a larger caliber gun was used. Yeah, which is very cowardly. I do want to point out to all of our listeners that the murder of Travis Combs is still unsolved and the investigation is still very much ongoing. The purpose of these episodes of True Crime Garage that we are doing this week are not only to get justice for Jabez Spann who was just 14 years old when he went missing, but also to get justice for Travis Combs and anyone with information regarding the senseless murder of Travis Combs. I beg you, please call or email the Sarasota police department or call the detective. We just mentioned at 941-364-7327. Yeah, but it also is a sign of the community and also a sign of the, the cards that are stacked up against Jasmine when these three individuals feel that they can go into to a public spot right in the open, rob somebody, murder them, steal their car, and almost like they're not even afraid that enough people will turn them in. Yeah, th- this whole thing is difficult because these these guys, and we're going to get into some suspects as we go along in our case and investigation of Jabez Span, but the issue here and one of the problems is again we have these several groups that are out in the community and they're committing robberies the thought that in the vibe that I got from people close to the case 
And I feel like maybe law enforcement shares this opinion too, that in Travis Combs's case, they may not have intended to murder Travis Combs. It may be something went sideways during the commission of that robbery and it led to murder, regardless of whatever their MO was or, or their motivation was, it ended in murder. And this is a crime against the community as much as it is against Travis Combs and his family. And really the police are asking for the community's help in that case. So what does all of this have to do with the disappearance of Jabez? Well, it is because of what Reginald Parker, the man who came forward, the man named in the affidavit, it is what he told Jabez's grandmother, Lucille Tillery, that changed everything for the family and for their search. Mm -hmm. Not only did Reginald Parker say that he witnessed the shooting of Travis Combs, but he also saw Jabez Span and two of Jabez's buddies emerge from a home on the 1600 block of 22nd Street. This during the incident. According to Parker, they too saw everything. And the three men involved in the shooting of Travis Combs, they may have seen the three kids or at least they saw Jabez. Now, they may have only seen Jabez because Jabez did yell something out. When he saw this and witnessed this, he yelled out, oh my God, y'all shot him. Travis Combs, his vehicle was found sometime later, about 15 or 16 miles away, and it had been set on fire. Normally, there's two guys in the garage. This week, there's only one guy. The other guy is soaking up the sun. But if there was a third wheel, I mean, come on, Crispy Colonel, the Captain, and Reginald. That's, you like that a, name, that's don't a trio. you? What a great name, Reginald. Well, we don't want this Reginald in the garage, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But I thought we were trying to hire Carlos. He is he not returning Carlos our calls? And Reginald. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's important to our understanding of the story to note that the gunmen did not know that Reginald Parker witnessed this murder, the shooting, this robbery of Travis Combs. Furthermore, it is unlikely that they knew that there was another witness in addition to Jabez and his friends. On October 13th, detectives interviewed a witness who stated that on August 28th, between the hours of 8.30 and 9 p.m., this witness was walking on Orange Avenue, approaching 23rd Street. This witness heard a single gunshot. Unfortunately, after hearing the gunshot, as the witness was crossing Orange Avenue heading toward 23rd Street, they observed two black male subjects running northbound on Palmadalia Avenue. The witness immediately recognized one of the men and later revealed his name to the detectives. Again, it seems unlikely that the gunman knew that they were observed by this witness from across the street at night. But they did know for certain that one person had seen them. That one person was 14-year-old Jabez Spam. What's even more important is that both these adult witnesses, Reginald Parker, who saw the whole thing go down, and the unnamed witness, later reported to be a woman, on the street who saw the men running from the scene, could identify at least one of the gunmen by name. The unnamed witness told detectives 
the name of the man that she recognized. This was a man named Curtis, whose last name we are withholding. So we know that police received information from a witness as to the identity of one of the killers of Travis Combs. Although this witness saw the men running away, not the actual murder itself. As for Reginald Parker, who did witness the shooting, he did not go to police. As we said, he spoke to Lucille Tillery, Jabez's grandmother. And Reginald told her the name of two of the men he saw, and one of them was Curtis. So we have two different eyewitnesses both naming one of the suspects of the three and naming the same person. Reginald also met with Latoya Jakes. This is Jabez's aunt. He told her the same story about Travis Combs shooting and Jabez witnessing the whole thing. He also told the story to a third person, and this was a private investigator who was working with Jabez's family pro bono on Jabez's case. And Reginald told this private investigator, J.R., the names of two of the men he saw shoot Travis Combs. One was Curtis, and the other was a guy named Wheelock. Sarasota Police Department almost certainly heard about Reginald's statements to the family because they arrested him on November 7th. He was arrested on a warrant for failure to appear in a court. As it turns out, old Reggie, he's 55 years of age, he was a sex offender, and he had earlier failed to give a notice of change of address per the requirements, and he had been arrested and given a court date and then released. He then failed to appear, so police had a reason to arrest him. This took place on the 7th and to hold him as well. What they want to do, Captain, is they are going to put pressure on him. They want him to name the guys that he saw shoot Travis Combs. Because the story he was telling seemed to pretty clearly implicate the men who killed Travis, probably they were involved in the disappearance of Jabez as well. So Reginald is Reginald touchy, touchy, flicky, flicky. So what the cops end up doing, Captain, is they obtained sworn statements, this from Lucille, Latoya, and JR regarding what Reginald had told them about Jabez witnessing Travis Combs shooting and the shooters seeing Jabez. Why did they need these sworn statements to the story told by Reginald Parker? Because Reggie clammed up once the police had him in custody. He denied having witnessed Combs' murder. He denied telling the story of the event to J.R. or either of Jabez's relatives. Police even marched the three people he talked to, Lucille, Latoya, and J.R., down to the jail and had them confront him in person and say, hey, you told us this story. Confront him in person about the story they, he had told them. Parker continued to deny, deny, deny that he had told them any such thing. Maybe Reginald is just protecting himself and he's afraid that the murder that he took, the murder that he saw take place, those guys could then be after him. But on some level, you go, they're responsible for the disappearance of Jabez. If you're not telling the cops, then maybe you're a piece of shit. This is one of those difficult things because I think he was 
I do think he was truly trying to help in some way. I think the problem is what we have is a man that's afraid, afraid to tell the authorities. Now, some people in Newtown, not just Reginald, they may be afraid to come forward to tell what they know because they are afraid of retribution. And who would retaliate against these snitches? Well, if in fact these suspicions that what happened to Travis Combs then led to what could have happened to Jabez, if that's true, if those suspicions are true, then it turns out that we probably have some pretty aggressive, well-known thugs in this area. The witness who told police the identity of one of the men that she recognized running away from the crime scene probably felt comfortable doing so only because she was not named in the affidavit and she was not seen by the killers. It seems pretty clear that Reginald Parker, he wanted to give the Jabez's family some information about Jabez to help them figure out what had happened to him, but he would not go so far as to tell this information to police. Yeah. And the, but the problem is if you don't take a stand that these people are going to keep attacking the community and that more people are in danger and then you might also be in danger and you don't even know it yet. So why not have law enforcement go after these guys to get them off the streets? The probable cause affidavit that we mentioned to you is a statement that probable cause actually exists to charge Reginald Parker with accessory after the fact to the murder of Travis Combs. This is because he impeded the investigation of armed robbery and murder, knowing the identity of the men who committed the crimes and then refusing to reveal their names, thereby helping them avoid detection, arrest, trial, and of course, punishment. So prosecutors charged Reginald Parker with accessory after the fact, and he continued to refuse to talk while sitting in jail. Meanwhile, Jabez still had not been found. The family members stated publicly that they believed that Jabez witnessed a murder and someone associated with the murder did something to him. Make sure you check out our old episodes on the Stitcher app and our bonus show off the record. Join me tomorrow in the garage. Nick will be in Florida getting all, well, you know, crispy kernel. Until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. 
So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.